All right, thanks. Uh, thanks for stalling there for me. Had a wardrobe malfunction. My, my family started panicking, so I was just like, what, my zipper? I mean, what is this? <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's see, a couple things. I want to pray for uh, Alan and Linda. I guess Alan and Linda, they're not uh, doing well this morning. Uh, sent me a text and uh, said that uh, they're in a lot of pain. So, uh, uh, so we need to uh, pray for them. Uh, keep them in prayer and continue to pray for Mike Ainsworth. We got we got a lot of people not doing well and uh, sick and all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, it's just kind of how things go and, you know, just, just how life is. And so we just want to continue to pray for God's grace, his mercy, and his comfort for us and for uh uh, for our members and for our family members, really. Hi, right, if you uh, got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 119. Uh, today we're going to be zeroing in on verses 93 uh, to 96. Psalm 119, verses uh, 93 to 96. I was reading an article and it talked about uh, the painting of the Golden Gate Bridge. And it says the job of painting the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco is never ending. I heard once that they paint it end to end, but by the time they get to the end, however many years that it may take, it's time to start over. And in reality, though, sections and portions of the bridge are being prioritized according to the need. But regardless of the strategy, the bridge is never not being painted. It is one of the primary maintenance jobs. Why? Um, the, um, the fact is that the painting of the bridge is of utmost importance in sustaining the structure because the air that's coming in from the Pacific Ocean is incredibly high in salt content and it will, we, uh, it will get into the structure uh, wreak havoc and uh, cause all kinds of corrosion. But it doesn't happen if the bridge is properly sealed with paint. And so the paint will protect the bridge from exposure. Uh, it says exposed segments can lead to corrosion, which can lead to structural failure, which can lead to disaster. So there's a team of 34 people that make it their life's purpose to paint the Golden Gate uh, it's trademark international orange color. They climb ladders hundreds of feet in the air, hang from harnesses and baskets, suspend over the vast waters, and risk their lives to put paint to the steel. Year after year, every bolt, every rivet, every beam, every crevice, every cable gets covered. The safety of the bridge depends upon it. And once again, the bridge is never not being painted. And the Bible should be as well as it is here. When we reach the end of reading our Bible, uh, which I heard a couple weeks ago, uh, or just last week, that Jack, our cameraman, he finished the Bible. Uh, so good job, Jack. So guess what you're supposed to do? Start over again. <laughs> And when we reach the end of this extraordinary book, we start over again and again and again and again. The bridge is never not being painted. The Bible should never not be read. We should always be reading the scriptures. It should always be there. The safety of our lives depend on it. And, you know, it's more than worth it. You know, I mean, some of us will watch movies over and over again. You know, they're, they're doing sitcoms from back in the 80s. They're releasing the whole seasons, and people are there binge-watching sitcoms, you know, going through the 100 episodes of these sitcoms. And after they're done, guess what they do? They start over again, and they start watching it over and over again. I remember when I was in Bible college, uh, when the Disney movie Aladdin came out, 
I think I paid full price to watch that movie seven times in the movie theater. And then I watched it seven more times when it went to the dollar theater. <laughs> Do you guys remember dollar theaters? Okay, because like I say that to my kids and they look at me like with this strange look like, <laughs> what's a dollar movie? You know? <laughs> oh man, times have changed. <laughs> it's more than worth reading over and over again. And it becomes even more to us the more we read it. Now, for those of you that have read the Bible over and over again, you guys see that. Like every single time we start all over again, we learn something new. Something else is there. Something else comes out. The Bible is more than worth reading over and over and over again. And it's so worth it. But again, family, the statistics and the data keep coming in to show that Bible reading amongst evangelicals today is indeed waning, and they're saying that it's worse now than it has ever been. How can this be? How can the Bible, the Bible reading with evangelicals be waning today? Christianity Today writes an article and says that since COVID-19, over 26 million people just stopped reading the Bible. Another report that was given that I think is really interesting and very important, another report came in, and I think this is from Biola University, another report that 13 million of the most engaged Bible readers read the Bible even less now than they ever did before. Now, these are people who are saying that they're engaged with the Bible. They all say they're reading it less now than they did before. Research has shown that they struggle to name the four Gospels, that evangelicals today, they struggle because they can't name more than two or three of Jesus' disciples. They struggle with being able to say half of the Ten Commandments. And George Barna said, no wonder people break the Ten Commandments. They don't know what they are. Some say most often that they didn't place a priority on Bible reading or they just don't feel that they had time to read the Bible. Really? Wheaton College's New Testament professor, Dr. Gary Bird, he wrote, to disregard this resource to neglect the Bible is to remove the chief authority on which our faith is built. We are left vulnerable, unable to check the teaching of those who invite us to follow, incapable of charting a new true course past siren voices calling from treacherous islands, such as TV programs, popular books, and enchanting prophecies displayed on colorful websites. So we see here, the Bible said to not be a priority. People are saying that Bible reading is just not a priority in my life. Or some people are saying that there's just no time in my busy schedule to read it. But we, did we stop to think? And so when I'm, when I'm looking at this and, and people are talking, they're, they're giving us the stats. But my, my thing I'm wondering is, did we stop to think why it is that the Bible is not a priority or that there is, or people feel like there's no time to read it. Bible's not a priority. People have no time to read it. Right? I mean, the Bible is the very word of God. The very words of God. It's all we need, the Bible says, for life and godliness. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It is a lamp. It's our foundation on which we build our life. It's the thing that will never pass away. It's more precious than rubies. It's more valuable than millions in gold and silver. It's limitless, and it is beyond perfection, and we have no time for it? Hmm. 
We can't make this a priority? Hmm. As awesome as the Bible is, we can't make it a priority and we have no time for it. Now, here's the thing. Let me just cut, let's just cut to it here. Anytime you don't want to read the Bible because you don't have time for it or it's not a priority, anytime this is the case, two main reasons, two reasons why that's the case, two big ones. Number one, you don't believe it. Number one reason why we don't make the Bible a priority or we don't have time for it is we don't believe it's God's word. Number two, the one that people will not ever, a Christian will not ever admit, but this happens all the time and Christians feel this all the time when they actually do admit it. You don't want what it promises. Yeah, the Bible promises a lot of things, but sometimes in life you look at it and you go, you know what? I don't need that right now. We don't believe it and we don't want it. Well, maybe we can get some help with this in our passage today. So take a, let's take a look. Psalm 119, verses 93 to 96. I will never forget your commandments, for by them you give me life. I am yours. Rescue me, for I have worked hard at obeying your commandments. Though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. Even perfection has its limits, but your commands have no limit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is how our psalmist describes what it means for the word of God to bring life. The second thing we're going to look at is see the comforting attributes of the word of God in that it's limitless and it's beyond perfection. Finally, we will see that the word has been made flesh to bring us life and life more abundant. So our thesis statement today is this. Again, the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world may cause us to lose sight of the true beauty of the living Word of God, it's the Word of God and the power of the Spirit that will cause us to see the beauty of the Word of God that brings life and life more abundant. So point number one, the Bible is the Word that gives life. The Word is life. The word of God is life-giving. Now, our psalmist starts off and he says, I will not forget. That's a very, very interesting Hebrew phrase there. I will never forget. It's great resolve. It's a worthy resolve. And our psalmist shows that the word of God must be remembered. Wow. So are you saying that Reading the Bible is more than just reading it. I remember, I remember once I'm talking about, hey, you know what, God, I'm talking to one of my mentors, and God, God wants us to read the Bible day and night. And he just has a little grin on his face, and I'm like, what, what that's not true? And he goes, no. I thought we're supposed to read the Bible Day and night. He goes, that's not what the scripture says, Shane. Oh, well, what does the scripture say? You are supposed to meditate on the scriptures day and night. Whoa. You mean as a Christian, we're supposed to do more than just read it? Some of us just have a hard time reading it. But we're supposed to meditate upon it. We're supposed to read it. We're supposed to repeat it over and over and over again. And we're to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts. And we're supposed to keep it in our hearts so that we remember the word of God. And we remember what he's done. And we don't forget. Just as it is with things in life, we forget, don't we? And for some of us, the older we get, the more we forget starting to happen to me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm starting to do that with my children. Like, you know, I'm looking at Sean and I'm going, you know, uh, what's your name again? 
right? You guys, you know, y'all remember doing that? What's your name again? Can't even remember our kids' names anymore. We read it. We learn it. We meditate on it. We repeat it. We think we got it, but then it vanishes. Kind of like James, right? We see ourselves in a mirror. We walk away, and we immediately forget what we look like. But the psalmist is declaring, God forbid that ever happens. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he writes, forgetfulness is a great evil in regard to holy things. It's not just a bad thing. It's not just a, you know, a mistake. He's saying forgetfulness. When it comes to God's word, forgetfulness is a great evil. Here we see the man of God fighting against it and feeling sure of victory because he knew the life-giving energy of the word of God in his own soul. So it's important for us to note here, the psalmist gives us the key to remembrance. He tells us of a wonderful moment, of the wonderful things that the Lord does, the awesome, wonderful things that God does for us. And for us as Christians today, we have even more for us to, quote-unquote, remember because of what Christ has done for us. Now, come on. It doesn't get more wonderful than that. Why is it that we forget? He says a wonderful moment. It's kind of like someone, the idea here is kind of like someone is saying, or somebody does something super awesome. So, you know, for a lot of us, we could think about moments where somebody in this world did something really, really nice for us, did something really, really good for us, something really cool for us. And our response is like, you know what? I can't believe you did this. This was super awesome what you did. You are so awesome. This was so awesome. Let me tell you, I will never forget what you did. It's kind of like that. But the psalmist is saying, I'll never forget what you did. Because what you did, Lord, was so awesome. I am not going to forget. God forbid I ever for, or forget about what it is that you have done. Through the word of the living God, we see the power that's truly life-giving. Why are we not going to forget? Because God's word is truly life-giving. When, when there were those who were to rise from the grave, it was a command of the word of the living God that actually brought them forth. Remember? When Lazarus was in the grave, Jesus clapped his hand three times, clicked his heels three times, and said, Lazarus, come forth. All he did was say, Lazarus, come out. John eleven forty three. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The word of the Lord brings life. Luke chapter 8, verse 54. Luke chapter 8, verse 54. Now, now remember, Jairus' his daughter, right? So you say, hey, come heal my daughter. She's not well. And then Jesus comes, and she's, you know, in the bed. And, and you know, it was like, we're sorry, she's dead. It's already done. It's over. And then what did Jesus do? He says, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And what did the people do? They laughed at him. Because they knew she was dead. And then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. God's word brings life, literally. But people be like, whoa. Well, yeah, but that's awesome, Shane. But, you know, hey, we're, we're just, we're not God. But you know what God does tell us, command us to preach his word. More specifically, his gospel. And did you know that when we do that, it brings life? It brings life. We are his people, the people of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We preach the gospel, and the gospel gives life to dead sinners by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1.16, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Wow. We preach the gospel 
And the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrates the heart of a dead person and gives them life and life more abundant in Christ. So can we do the same? Yes, with the power of God's word. Oh, God's word's pretty awesome, don't you think? It's pretty amazing, don't you think? Then why won't we read it? Why don't we meditate on it? And if the word of God brings the life-giving power of God and the power of God to bring people to life who was even in the grave already, don't you think that God's word has the power to save us? And that's the cry of our psalmist. Save me, for I am yours. The, the, the psalmist is saying, save us. Save me. I am yours. I belong to you. Save me, Lord. Save me. The cry of our psalmist. Now, that is a wonderful claim of a Christian, isn't it? That's the wonderful claim. That we belong to Christ. It's my claim. It's our claim. Thank the Lord. I belong to Christ. And I know God is going to save me. I know God's going to care for me. I know God is going to get me through. It may not look good now, but I know that in the end, I'm going to make it through. I know that because of what God has promised. God has promised that as a Christian, I am a co-heir with Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a co-heir with Christ, meaning you are kings and queens of the kingdom of heaven. So it doesn't matter what you're going through in life right now. In the end, it's going to be awesome. In the end, it's going to be amazing. And I know this. Why? Because I am my beloved's, and he is mine. Because I belong to him. Save me, Lord. I'm yours. I belong to you. Save me. That's the idea. That's the mentality of our psalmist here. Our psalmist shows that he does belong to the Lord, but there's something here that we got to get. Our psalmist is showing that he belongs to the Lord because he seeks the word of God. Whoa. Do you guys get that? So he's saying, Lord, I belong to you. Save me, and I, and essentially we say, and I, I know that I belong to you. You know I belong to you because I seek your word. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I can see some of y'all, like, hey, all right, I, know, I see where Shane, Pastor Shane's going with this. I feel it. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. You know, this is, this is the reason why people don't like me. Guy, just come out and say it, right? <laughs> this is why some of y'all like me, though. Is that, you know, that's the thing about Pastor Shane. He just comes right out and says it. We must not, we must not, nor cannot, Believe that we belong to Christ if we're not seeking his word. Just don't think it. Don't even try to justify it. Don't even go there. If you do not seek the word of God, you do not belong to Christ. All right? Hang on. Just let me finish before you all get mad. Stand up and walk out. Let me finish. I'm going to finish. This is why those statistics are super serious, family. These statistics that we get about how Bible reading is waning, how people don't know the biblical illiteracy of modern evangelicalism, this is the reason why these statistics are super serious. Because it's telling. What is it telling? It's telling that many of us are not true disciples of Christ. Hello. Some of you all, you know, you got friends, you got family members, you got yourselves that we got to wake up. Wake up and hear this and see this. 
you are not a Christian if you're ignorant of the Bible. Christ said it himself, John 8, verse 31. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Huge. This is huge. I know this is something that we pass over because we love that verse that happens right before it, right? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we just drop our Bible there. And we, that's right. Know the truth. Truth will set me free. And we start to celebrate and we don't finish it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What is Jesus saying when he says, truly, my disciples? He's telling us that there is such a thing as false disciples. Did you know that it's also the enemies of Christ who don't know the scriptures? Oh, yeah. Remember the Sadducees came to challenge Jesus? Now, the Sadducees didn't, you know, they didn't reverence the entire Old Testament. They just, the Torah is what there was, but they studied that. They studied the Torah. They studied it. They studied the scriptures. They studied all this. And the enemies of Christ came to Christ, and they went through their whole ordeal, had their little argumentation, all that stuff, where they sat there, and they talked about this, this, and this. And Jesus replies in Matthew 22, verse 29, Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. Huge. Your mistake. Today, hear, hear that. Listen to that word ring out. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. So come on. All this biblical illiteracy that we see in our world today. People don't know the Bible. People don't, preachers don't teach the Bible anymore. We don't hear, hear it from the pulpit anymore. And we got, in the body of Christ, we got theologians and we got scholars trying to even say that we're doubt, it's doubtful that the Bible is even God's word. And we think we're not in trouble today? This is, family, this is a 911 warning for us today. It's clear that those who belong to God are those who follow hard after the very word of God. It's also clear that you can read and study the Bible like the Sadducees said. It's clear that you can even do it and still not know it. Wow. Even when we think we do. Christ said that one of the requirements of being his disciple, right? One of the big requirements of being a disciple of Christ. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, right? We know we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. But go into all the world. Make disciples. How do you do it? He tells us how we do it. We do it by baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And by teaching some of the things Jesus commanded. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are to be taught everything he has commanded. Now, what's our excuse for not knowing and learning everything that he has commanded? We have it right here. Best-selling book in all history. Everybody's got one. Even my, even my friends that aren't even professing Christians or are not even Christians have one in their house. I'm like, hey, well, you, you're, you, don't, you don't believe in God. Yeah, no, I just, you know, so we don't have conversation about God, all that stuff. And I'm like, well, how come you got a Bible in your house? And one of my friends cracked me up. He goes, oh, just in case. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how long I laughed. That was just hilarious. Oh, just in case. <laughs> When the Lord talks about truly my disciples, he's teaching that there is a reality of something called false disciples. 
We cannot belong to Christ if we don't know his word. We cannot belong to Christ if Christ does not know us. Matthew 7, 23, Matthew 7, 23. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is serious. And I know that a lot of times we pass on this scripture and, and a, a lot of times it, it's just kind of softened. This whole idea is just kind of softened. But you know what's really stark about this Matthew 7 chapter here? I, I never knew you. That people were actually somewhat arguing with Christ. Well, well, wait a minute. Didn't I do these awesome and amazing things for you? Cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these things for you? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Why is that sad? Do you know why that's sad? Because these people think they're Christians. Whoa. Shane, I, did, I didn't eat the kind of breakfast I needed to eat for the sermon that you're preaching today. I ain't got the energy for this. Just hang with me. Because this is important. This is, this is the stuff that is not being illuminated. It's not being said. We don't realize just how serious this is and how big of trouble we're in with the biblical illiteracy that's happening within the church. It's bad. You know, and, and this, was, this was years ago. I, I know I, I, I just, I, I really have a hard time talking about people that are probably with the Lord right now. <laughs> I say that kind of tongue in cheek. But I don't know if you guys remember that uh, this would have been, wow, it would have been a while ago. You remember Reggie White, the football player, Reggie White? He played for the Green Bay Packers, I think, right? Or was it the Green Bay Packers? See how long it is? I can't even remember. Or Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, remember the, the, the awesome thing about Reggie White, why he, why he was so popular in Christian circles? is because he was an ordained minister. You guys remember that? The thing that always stark that I'll just never forget, you know, as a, hey, Jack, turn, can you turn that off? This is just for us. This is just for the family. Um. He's an ordained minister, went around the country, preached all that stuff, football player, ordained minister, and all that stuff. And then there was that moment where we watched him on Celebrity Jeopardy. Do you guys remember that? This was like the biggest black eye to Christianity like ever. Here he is, Reggie White, an ordained minister of God on, on Celebrity Jeopardy, and got every single Bible question wrong. <laughs> and I'm just, I just, I'm watching this just going, is anybody else seeing the problem with this? The real problem with this? And all the other guys, the celebrities that don't profess to even be Christian are answering the Bible question. And so what happens was, is, is that after that, just everybody was making fun of it. All the sports networks, uh, the news networks, everybody was making fun of it. The guy is an ordained minister of God, and he can't even get one Bible question. He got every single one wrong. He didn't even get one right. And some of them were like Sunday school questions, you know? And it was like, got it all wrong. And, and so the news people were making fun of it. Everybody was laughing about it. Then even Christian pastors were starting to make fun of it. Everybody was thinking, and everyone just thought that this was just so funny. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, so funny. And I'm just like, we don't realize how serious this is. If you truly are my disciple, you will abide in my word you're at least going to be able to tell me who was swallowed by the big fish. Okay, thank you. Somebody said it. 
Did somebody over here, I'm looking, this, this, did somebody say Pinocchio? No, I just said it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay, it's, it's not funny, but I, that was funny. The scary thing about this passage, family, is they think that they're Christians. Shame, but that's not us, right? Well, I don't know. But let me tell you something. If you have no desire and no longing for the word of God, then it might be. That's a clue. If you don't want the Bible, don't want to read it, want nothing to do with the Bible, that might be the clue that you need. And in reality, family, we should be checking in anyway, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Whoa. This is huge. He's talking to professing Christians here. The church in Corinth. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's talking to professing Christians. And he's telling them, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. And if you are a Christian, truly then you're going to recognize the word of God. Why? Because the Bible says, my sheep know my voice. The Bible is so much more than we think. It's worth so much more. The question is, do we really believe it? When we see this stuff, when we understand and recognize it, do we see just how absolutely extraordinary and amazing the Bible is? Do we really believe that the Bible is worth more than millions in gold and silver? Do we believe that the Bible is more valuable than rubies? No, I make this joke all the time. I mean, I just say, hey, we are here hearing the word of God being preached here today. We, we still got room for people to come. But if I told everybody, hey, instead of my sermon next week, instead of preaching next week, I got a gigantic bag full of genuine rubies and diamonds and emeralds, and I'm going to pass that out. After praise and worship is done, I'm just going to walk around and pass out and hand out rubies, diamonds, and jewels, and gold, and silver, and all that stuff instead of preaching the word. You probably not be able to fit everybody in here. And you guys know I'm not lying. You guys know that's the truth. So what is that saying? I just don't think we really do believe. I just don't think that we really do believe that the Bible is true. For many of us, we just don't think that it is. And they know that the word is so much more than what we can comprehend as perfection. Here's point number two. The word of God is beyond perfection. So not only is it more valuable than rubies, is it more uh, uh, valuable than millions in gold and silver? But the word of God is beyond what we would understand as even perfect. It's beyond what we would understand as something that we would refer to as perfect. How is that possible? The word is so much more than what we can comprehend as perfection. Our psalmist said that he sees the limits of what we would call perfection. We may call things perfect, but obviously there are limits. You know what I'm saying? We call things perfect, but we know that there are limits even to that perfection. I, I refer to my wife, Janine, and I call her perfect. She's the most perfect woman in the world. She is the most perfect wife. And, and in, in a lot of ways, I really believe that. But I know she's not because she doesn't like to watch football. I cannot get her to watch a Bronco game with me. She just won't watch football. So <laughs> there it is, Connie, right? I mean, there, I can't call her perfect anymore. 
<laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Um, back back when Janine was uh, in high school, I think uh, she was working for Quiznos, and somebody calls up uh, and, and orders a bunch of sandwiches at Quiznos, and she's like, "Hey, we we want some sandwiches and all this kind of stuff." And Janine is taking the order and she's writing down the, the sandwiches and stuff. And he says, "And all these sandwiches, it's for Tyrone Braxton." Do you guys remember Tyrone Braxton from the Broncos, right? Tyrone Braxton, he plays for the Broncos. Okay, and Janine's like, okay, for Tyrone Braxton. No, no, it's for Tyrone Braxton. And Janine's just like, yeah, I got that, Tyrone Braxton. No, you don't understand, Tyrone Braxton. Yes, Tyrone Braxton. And Janine is just like, who the heck is Tyrone Braxton? And everyone in the, the, the verse is like, this is a football player. And Jesus is like, oh, well, that explains everything. <laughs> if it was me taking it, I'd be like, Tyrone Braxton? Do I get an autograph with that? I want an autograph football? I want an autograph jersey? You know, no. But we see the limits in this world of what we would call perfect but what he's saying is the Bible is beyond that. We see the limits of perfection, but the scriptures, it's beyond perfection. There are limits to what we would call perfection in life. But when it comes to the word of God, not only is it eternal, but it's more than perfect. More than perfect, Shane. How can that be? I, I love the way Calvin, he writes this. Uh, amazing what he says here. He asserts that there is nothing under heaven so perfect and stable or so complete in all respects and not to have an end and that the divine word alone possesses such amplitude as to surpass all bounds and limits. Nothing can contain it. But that is just an awesome way to say that our word is eternal. And it also gives us an amazing picture of what Christ means when he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. Oh, yeah, perfect things don't remain forever. But the Bible does. There's nothing in this world that even comes close to the Word of God. In the last two weeks, we see here that the Word of God is eternal, that it's beyond what we would call the limits of perfection. So with all of that, seeing everything that the Bible says about the Word of God, all of that, my question is, what's the problem? Why are we having this crisis in our country today, in our world today? You know, as, as we're doing the social media, um, as we're doing social media, the outreach and stuff like that, and as, as I'm engaging with people, you know, about the gospel and about uh, Christianity and about these kinds of things, you know what I find myself saying now, especially to those who are professing to be Christians and are starting to chastise me for things that I'm on there? I tell you what, man, the, the people that are, that are responding to this wave of, of social media, they're mean, you know, they're, they're, like, they're like nasty me now. They're just saying stuff about, you know, they're not even talking about what I'm talking about. They're talking about my hat. They're talking about my, my shirt. They're talking about my teeth. <laughs> One guy even says, how is, it, how is it that, you know, you can't, you don't fix your teeth? And I'm just like, because I'm a pastor. I don't have any money. <laughs> and he replies, oh, my bad. <laughs> they're, so, they're so mean. But even, the, but here's the thing. This is what's really sad. You know who the meanest people are? Professing Christians, man. Christians, other quote-unquote brothers and sisters are so mean to what they say. And this is what I find myself saying all the time. You know not the scriptures. You know not the scriptures. Don't you understand? He goes, Shane, what you're doing is you're having these, these conversations with these people. Jesus never had argumentative conversations with people. You know not the scriptures, my friend. <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny how everybody's an expert on the Bible. 
And I find myself saying, you know not the scriptures. So what's the problem? Why won't we... Why won't we learn it? Why won't we meditate on the scriptures? Why aren't we just dying to do it every single day? Every day? Just really quick before we close. Number one, we don't believe it. We don't really believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, here's the other thing. For many of us, we want to believe that the Bible is the word of God. But we don't really believe that the Bible is the word of God. There's a difference. There's a difference between wanting to believe and actually believing. Right? There's a difference between knowing that we're right and hoping that we're right. I, I'm hoping that I really do believe that the Bible is the word of God, but we don't have to hope with that. You know how you know? Are you reading it? Are you meditating upon it? Are we studying it? Oh, Shane, it's just, it's just really hard. I got so many other things to do. Can you tell me what it is that you are saying is more important than reading your Bible? Oh, Shane, there's lots. Can you tell me? We, because in the end, it's just, we just really don't believe. We just really don't believe it. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But then when we go through difficult times, it's like, oh, it's just God has left me. But the Bible says that he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. So do you not believe it? No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I really don't. I remember, hey, telling somebody who's going through a really difficult time, I'm just like, hey, you know, if you go down this road, you know, there's all kinds of problems that's going to happen. You got to trust God. You got to trust his word. And he goes, if you, don't, if you don't keep in his word, you're going to lose hope that God is going to save you. Ain't what she told me? It's gone already. I already lost hope. I don't believe that the Bible. But, and she was in church every single Sunday. But when it came down to it, when trials and tribulation hit, right? The testing of our faith. That's why these things happen, to show us that our faith really isn't genuine, that we really don't believe. Do we really believe it? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. When we're having trouble with the Bible, you got to ask yourself that question, do I really believe it? Now, here's the thing. Here's the catch. You can't just flip the switch. You can't just go, oh, that's right, the I don't believe it switches off. Oh, okay, now I do. But what you can do is you can get on your knees and pray. God, please open up my heart and our mind. Increase my faith. But you know what's awesome about that? Guess how we get faith? Hearing the word of God. Wow. And here's number two. This is where the rubber meets the road, family. Number two, we just don't want what he promises. This is, this is a big one. This is huge. Number one, we don't even believe. But let's just say we do believe that this is God's word. Well, what it is that he promises, we don't really want. Man, I, the Bible promises, God promises that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, but you know what, Shane? I don't need that right now. I don't need God to be my companion. I don't need God to be walking with me hand to hand. What I need God to do is to make my problems go away. Is he going to do that? Well, understand that a lot of these problems is helping you to grow into me. I don't need no more growth. I don't need no maturity, Shane. Look at all the gray hair I got on my head. I need deliverance. I need freedom. I need to win the lotto. Is there a scripture in there that's going to help me win the lotto? Is there the secret scripture in there that I can, you know, count to three and do this, this, and this, and all my problems will go away? then if that's the case, what do I want to read the Bible for? We love what God 
can do, but we don't like what he won't do. And God won't give us what our evil, sinful hearts desire because he knows that's going to destroy us. But that's the insanity of it, right? That's what we want. He wants to develop me into this, this great individual. But what I really want from him is to make me happy. He allows me to suffer. And the Bible says that he's going to make me suffer. But I don't need suffering right now, Shane. What I need is comfort. Forgetting the fact that the psalmist says that he's been suffering his whole life. So you can't ever say, like, you know, enough's enough. Are you still alive? Yes. Then it's not enough. He provides my needs. That's what the Bible says. He'll provide my needs. But you know what I need him to do? I need him to provide my wants. I need him to provide the ones. You don't understand how hard it is when I go to work and I have to bring in my purse that's made by Calvin Klein. And everybody makes fun of me. God, I need a Louis Vuitton bag. All I can afford, all I can afford is some Reeboks. But you know what, God? I'm going to die if I don't get some Air Jordans. I need God to provide my wants. Shane, is there some place in the Bible that says that God will provide my wants? Those are the things that I need. You know, the Bible is not helping or giving any advice for this. I need what God won't provide. So that's why we just set the Bible aside. That's not going to help me get what I want. You know, but this book that was written by this successful rich entrepreneur, he's got some ideas as to how I can have more success in my life. I'm going to study this. I'm going to memorize this. I'm going to know the quotes. I'm going to know all this stuff because these guys, they, they're rich, they're successful, they know. Hmm. And then you read and the, then you find out the guy that wrote that book, uh, this successful entrepreneur, that he didn't actually get the money from hard work and skills. He inherited it from his rich uncle. And this is happening, family. It's happening because of deception and the corruption of sin. It deceives us into thinking that we're okay when we're not. It's corruption makes us naturally desire all that the Lord forbids. Everything that the Lord forbids, we crave it. We desire what is evil. Our nature is that of wrath. Our nature is sinful. And because of this nature, we naturally are inclined to believe that gold is worth more than the scriptures, to believe that the temporal is better than the eternal, the bowl of stew is better than a birthright, we believe the imperfect is better than the perfect, we believe that the artificial is better than the reality, we believe the world over the word. It's instinctive, it's natural for us to think this way. It's natural. Oh, Shane, I don't know about natural. Again, let me say it again. The number, one, it's not, the number one proof is scripture, but the number one non-scriptural proof to show you that we were all born with a sin nature are little children. Again, have you ever had to teach your little child how to sin? We don't have to teach our kids how to snatch stuff from other kids. We don't need to teach our kids how, how to hit kids when they offend us. We don't have to teach them any of this stuff. I mean, seriously, babies are the most self-centered creatures on the world, in the world. Sean did not care that Janine wasn't getting any sleep at night. When she was hungry, she screamed. Oh, yeah. Self-centered little demons. 
But <laughs> but see, here's, here's the thing with Cece. Look at how cute she is. Now, she could be a self-centered little demon, but she's so cute, you don't kill her. <laughs> see, God knew what he was doing. He's just like, look, man. He goes, sin nature is out. Whatever, whatever. We got to make sure that when the babies come out, we got to make sure they're cute. If not, these kids are going to get punted. Sinful, demon, and ugly. <laughs> so the reality is sin and its effects that it has over us. And it won't go unpunished. It's destroying us. We find that we embrace our sins instead of fight against it and kill it. Because sin so easily besets us and we want our sin. That's why we don't want the Bible. We naturally are not going to want the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is a light. The Bible is a lamp. And the Bible says men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. There is wrath coming for mankind. The world declares that it's coming. The unbridled fury of the living God is coming. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God kind of wrath. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, eternal fire reserved for the devil and his angels. This is the reality of what ultimately means by we will surely die. There is condemnation for the human race. And we're seeing it. We naturally, instinctively want to reject the Bible. And we do because of sin. Oh, and it has such a hold on us, doesn't it? Such a hold. And there is that wrath that's coming. But the question is, Shane, is Shane can we be saved from this? And the question or the response is an astounding yes, you can. There is a wrath coming, but the good news today is that there's forgiveness and salvation for us. Like the cry of our psalmist, he said, save me. And God answered him and our cry for deliverance. He answered, yes, he did. He sent Jesus into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the promises continue. From, be, from the beyond perfect word of God, you know what else the Bible says? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord today and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. There's salvation for us. There's life and life more abundant for us. The psalmist asked for it, and he gave it to us and more when he sent Jesus. This is the reality of the gospel. It's the word of God that's the power for salvation. Life through his word. Did he save? He did save us through his word. How much more did he need to do? How much more could we ask for? What else does he need to prove to us when we are done reading through the Bible? Like the non-stop, no-stop painting of the Golden Gate Bridge? When you get through it, you should do it again, and again, and again, and again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the light. We thank you that it's a lamp. God, I pray that you continue to help us to see past the fog and the deceptions of the world and to realize that it's just there blindingly there the truth is there before us you said man does not live on bread alone 
We need your word. So God, I pray that it will penetrate our hearts today. God, if there's anyone in here that does not know you, Lord, God, I pray that they will be regenerated by the power of the Spirit, that they will have life, that they will be born again, and they will repent of their sins. They will have faith in you and have life in your name. God, for everyone else, I pray that you help us to be salt and light in this world, to shine like stars in the universe, to labor with all of your energy powerfully working within us, and to rest in the wonderful eternal love of the Father, to rest in the grace and the sacrifice of Christ, and to rest in the application and comfort of the Spirit. Help us to live lives worthy of the calling, lives worthy of the Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.